0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of South Asian Stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I speak with Srihari Tharan, otherwise known as Dr. Shrimix. Shri is an extremely talented DJ and producer who blends South Asian music with Western influences. He is one of the most popular DJs in the Bollywood fusion dance circuit and has produced thousands of tracks with millions of listeners, with one of his most popular being Leenan Rangila. Shri has collaborated with singers such as Jay Math, Aditya Rao, and Mugda Hasabnis, as well as Bangla DJ, Classics, and renowned Tamil composer Karthik Raja. Although he's widely known for his music, Shri is also a kick-ass dancer. Specializing in Bangla and South Indian styles, Shri has danced with Brown Bradmash, Brown University's South Asian Dance Team, as well as Pendhamaka, Broad Street Badshahs, and Illuminati. But that's not it. Outside of DJing, Sri is a fourth year graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania. His research is around neuroengineering, and he is specifically interested in brain computer combined interfaces and devices. So Sri has done it all. So without further ado, please enjoy my extremely insightful, wide ranging conversation with Sri Hari Sritaran, aka Dr. Mix. All right, Sri, welcome to the show. Oh, Thank you so much. We are very, very excited to have you on South Asian Stories. I know it's been one of the most requested interviews that we've had just because of how prolific – uh, amount of things that you do, DJ, dancing. You know your your graduate that's school. That's it. <laughs> People have a have a, have a lot of uh, interest and insight to to um to what you're doing. So, um, I want to start a little bit about your your background. I, d- I did a lot of reading on you know where you grew up. It, it is it is it true that you were you were born in California and then raised in Wyoming? Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's about right. So my parents were in the military. Rather, my dad was a um. He's doing research, and he's taught in the military and for the Navy. So I grew up in San Diego, and then um, around the end of sixth grade or so, I think he was tired of working there and wanted to get a professorship job elsewhere, so he got one in Wyoming. So he was there for about six years, and uh, then when I graduated and went to uh, Brown University, my parents moved around a couple more times. So um, they still work for the military now, but basically I didn't really have like any— one city that I lived in for a while I've moved around quite a bit so
0: what was that like being moving around do you have to make new friends <clears throat> every city you went to was it stressful yeah
1: I think maybe the, like the, the thing that's stressful is not that I had to meet new friends um I, maybe it was back when I was in high school and stuff because I knew that like visiting those old friends is very difficult whereas you know like when you're a lot older you just go visit somebody uh so that was probably stressful I think what was more stressful is also just the the environment was completely different so like San Diego is like a very racially diverse place. It's extremely close to the Mexican border, so I had friends of all different, you know, ethnicities and backgrounds, and people were used to having a lot of culture shared all the time. And then Wyoming is just a very insular place, and you know, everyone's very nice there, but at the same time, there's not a lot of uh, minorities that are like spread throughout that state. So it's just a complete shift going in like into seventh grade from you know, being surrounded by Indian people and Mexican people and white people and everyone to just very homogenous community in Wyoming. Yeah. Um, Definitely very interesting. Yeah.
0: What was like, what was that like? Can you walk us through, you know, you walk into your class for the first day and you see Mm -hmm. a ton
1: of people that don't look like you. What was that like? Of course. I think it was more of a shock for them than it was for me. Because I mean, <laughs> for for me, it was just, uh, you know, fine. Like, I'm in a classroom where everyone looks the same. But to them, it was kind of like uh, some combination of, you know, curiosity and uh, some level ignorance as well. Like, there was one girl who thought I was black for, I think, a couple of years. No way. Because she had never encountered a black person. Yeah, it's just like those types of communities do exist in the United States still. And she asked me many times. She was like, so are you black? And I said, no, I mean, I'm Sri Lankan. It's an island south of India. And they're like, oh, you're Indian. Like, what tribe are you? And I said, no, yet again, you're wrong. But like, that's the wrong kind of Indian. I was just like, dude, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, even at like, this was like 10th grade, how sometimes people just don't have that education because, you know, the education system is not necessarily incentivized to teach everything everyone about everything if no one in your state looks like them. Sure. So, sure. Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, initially, it was very much like, a, you know, you get like the foreigner jokes, like, oh, you're like the foreign exchange student coming into Wyoming. And I was like, yeah, of course, bro. But then, you know, later on, I mean, people, you know, they gain respect for you and that kind of thing. It's, it's the, always the initial shock for them when they meet somebody who doesn't look like them.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. So t- talk us a little bit about being Sri Lankan. Is You know, y- your parents are from Sri Lanka. Have you, has that... That identity of being both sh- having the Sri Lankan background and you know growing up in the states, have did, did that bother you, or did that did you lean into that as you grew older? Like, what was that journey like
1: for you? Um, so it's interesting. I feel like so the thing is compared to Canada, where uh, Toronto has a huge population of Sri Lankan people, America doesn't really have much of a Sri Lankan American culture, and so most Sri Lankan American kids just sort of follow along the trend of Indian American kids. Sure. Um, Just kind of like tack along, right? Because, um, and it may, perhaps it's a little bit easier if you're Sri Lankan Tamil, because there's plenty of Tamil people already in um, America, but uh, if you're Sinhala, I'm not really sure. Um, Sinhala is a majority language in Sri Lanka, but at the same time, it's, um, I mean, for sure the minority when it comes to South Asian Americans, because it's it's only spoken in Sri Lanka. Um, So, I definitely, I think, leaned into it more as I got older, I think maybe specifically in high school. Uh, I think music actually helped a lot with that because it was like a way for you to stay in touch. When I was living in Wyoming, there's really nobody else, to my knowledge, that was Tamil or Sri Lankan my age. So uh, music and movies are like a good way for me to stay in touch with that stuff even when I was kind of, you know, in a different part of the United States where there's no one else there.
0: Sure. So let's talk about that. You, You know, you're in Wyoming. There's not too many people that, that look like you, and you said music and and, and uh, movies were like honestly your 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 way into the culture. What was things growing up that you really led in, into? Like what movies, what music had a big effect
1: on you? Um, definitely. Listen, got me into music, and then later on. That sort of thing. So, uh, you know, songs with very interesting melodies tend to come from like these older 90s Bollywood and Tamil music. And I think that's like something that I stuck to for a very long time, like studied it very carefully. Like I went through a lot of these music directors and listened to like every one of the songs that they've, they've made before, kind of like find some of their lesser known movies, that sort of thing, you know. So,
0: and so, and then, so you, you, you finished high school in Wyoming and then you, you went to mm-hmm. Brown. How how yeah. how like when at what point did you start your music background in in, in terms in the terms of of DJing because I I know that you 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 were part of Brown Mad Mash the, the the dance team there was that your kind of entry point into
1: yeah I think music? so I think that's maybe the way I did it like much more formally I did one mix before that which is for um we're like you know like the typical south Asian society like cultural show at brown so they had like a freshman dance that year so i did one mix for that um basically because people were like oh well you seem to know the the most music and you can kind of put two things together why don't you be in charge of making it so but yeah for me initially in terms of actually mixing music uh, it's been pretty much always tied to dance performances from the beginning and it's only once i started uh you know branching out of that to be like well i don't have to make a mix just for a dance performance i can make it for anything is when i started making like all sorts of individual tracks um, and just kind of putting it online
0: so like, walk us through your process right so let's say i am um, an up and up and coming dj or up and coming mm-hmm. person who wants to make to make a mix how would how would dr shreemix be <clears throat> like how would you approach a new mix someone says hey I want this kind of mix. What's your process? Uh,
1: so there's usually two ways people go about this. Either it's uh, somebody gives me a song and says, hey, I need a remix of this. Um, well, maybe let's say there's three ways. The first is that they give me two songs and they say, can you make these work? And then I kind of like go through it and say, let's see, do the speeds match up? Does the keys match up? Do they sound like two things that could possibly go together or that the end result is going to be at least on par or better than the individual parts, right? And then I give them some sort of advice being like, okay, yeah, I can give this a shot. Or no, maybe something else is better. And then if that's the case, I'll be like, okay, which of the two songs are you most tied to? If you're most tied to one of the songs, I can be like, all right, let's ditch the other one and try to find something similar. And hopefully it gets them where they want to go. The other option is that uh, they just kind of say like, hey, I need a Bunger mix with this like feel. Like I want it to be like, you know, these themes, these teams have like themes and stuff. So they're like, all right, this is like a like, hero entering the scene. So you need some sort of like very aggressive, warlike music. And you're like, okay, let's find a very like Jut Punjabi, like very aggressive testosterone, any Bangra song, <laughs> put some like DMX or something underneath there, right? Something that like really gets the vibe across, even without like dialogue. And then in that case, I'm doing pretty much a lot of the advising where I'm like, here's a bunch of songs that I think might work. And, uh, what do you think of that and then sometimes it'll advise me being like hey like we like this but let's try something slightly different you kind of like shift around until you finally find the answer and and has that
0: process you know you said you've been doing this for for almost more than 10 years how has Mm -hmm. the process evolved over time like walk us through the story when you were making your first mix you know you're not really sure what you're doing you're you're putting things together what was that like of course was it was was it nervous for you was it nerve-wracking
1: Yeah, I think the the issue is also back then in terms of like technical skill, in terms of like putting two songs into a program and like aligning them and cutting them up and that kind of thing, I was still not very fast. And so what would happen is that every time somebody asked me to make an idea, each one of those attempts would take a very long time. So there's kind of two things that kind of evolved at the same time. One is the fact that I got faster at this like technically. So every time somebody gave me an idea, I could give them back something much faster. So it would take up less of my time. But the other thing I think is that what's actually way more important is that I started to get this intuition for like, if somebody tells me like, Hey, uh, make me this mix. I could accept or reject it on the spot without actually trying it because I would actually kind of know, like imagine in my head, like, all right, this is not going to work. It's not even worth us trying it. Right. And that saves hours and hours of time. And I think that's one thing that like a lot of new newer DJs will like begin to develop is like, you know, people can ask you to make mashups of and there's infinite combinations right and so this process could take you forever yeah but uh as you get older you learn to know like when to you know kind of cut things out without even. it's like you know i I assume you know if you become a master chef or something some person could be like hey like what about what do you think about these two ingredients and the chef could if he was a master would be like i already know that's not going to work right and you don't have to waste time attempting it baking it creating it tasting it right yeah that's
0: the difference between a cook and a chef right cook follows directions a chef you know knows how things are put together. Mm-hmm. So and that's super interesting to me like how how did you develop that chef level of ability when it comes to putting songs together? Like g- can you give us an example of when somebody came to you where they said X song and, and Y song can we put them together and you immediately were like, "Hey, that doesn't feel right." Like how did um, how, how did you come up with that? Is there an example of that you can give us?
1: Uh yeah, okay. So maybe a couple examples. So one is um One is, it it seems that there are certain, there's maybe like two ways that people think of mashups in their head who who are not DJs. So some of them think of it like in terms of beats, right? Which is like, okay, this has a similar beat to that beat. And I think I probably fall more into that kind of category. And then the other people go for like lyrics and they say like, okay, this Hindi song is about love and this American song is about love. And therefore in my head, they match, which is true lyrically, but not necessarily musically if they were to come together. So sometimes people will say like, hey, uh, I feel like choreographing to these two songs because they have the same meaning. But that doesn't necessarily mean they'll work, right? And sometimes you can kind of force it if you have to, but then sometimes the best thing to do is advise them and be like, okay, which of these two do you actually like more? Let's find something that also has the same meaning as the song you're looking for, but like let's find it that actually matches musically. Um, That would be one example. Maybe another example is that um, I would say... One of the hardest things to learn to do is like learning how to do, like understand like keys and scales, the difference between like major and minor scales. And, you know, Western music has very like major scales, which are happy, and then minor scales, which are more serious and sad. But then Indian music is a whole different mess, right? Where you have like these Indian rocks, which are like major all the way up until like one note that's off. And right. so, and then that's, I think, just takes time. It's like, I don't have any sort of actual like Karnataka Hindustani background. I wish I did. Uh, that probably made my life a lot easier in terms of <laughs> learning stuff. But sometimes, you know, they'll give you two songs and then you listen and you're like, this works all the way, like 90% of the way it works, except for one thing, and that's going to throw off the whole thing, right? And then that's just one of those things where, you know, their initial idea was not wrong, but when it comes out of technical details, unfortunately, it won't work. so, Yeah, so, wow. So, like, when you
0: are evaluating, you know, you probably – go through hundreds and hundreds of songs that come through your, your door as you as you evaluate them mm-hmm. given that you don't have a music background how do you internalize like i know what the song is in terms of the minor and major scales i know what this would work on. is it just through <clears throat> years of years of practice
1: that you've kind of seen i patterns? think it's just i would say it's definitely yeah pattern finding and practice That's the thing is like some people who i know are very good singers they have sense of like absolute pitch and relative pitch where they're like, okay, I know that this is a C sharp major <laughs> scale, and right, I unfortunately don't have that ability where I like can lock it down to words. But the thing is, relative to like, relative to songs between each other, I think if you just listen to enough music, you'll eventually start to see patterns. That's why sometimes even when I make mixes, like you'll find that I'm mixing a song from like 1995 with a song from like 2012 because. Just because it came out the same year doesn't necessarily mean they're going to mix together. Sometimes you have to wait a while and then you just find that, like, you know, the, the same people who used to listen to that old music get inspired and make something new and then they tend to have correlation with each other. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, yeah. Just building up a huge library in your head, I think, is important.
0: So that, that library, I'm, I'm curious to know how, um, you know, with, like, I remember when I, in the, in the like, 5, 10 years ago, The only way I could get music or find music was if someone posted it on YouTube, or Mm -hmm. I had that downloaded on my on my computer through, you know, you know, LimeWire or FrostWire. Like I feel like music has has evolved so much over the last ten years. How has that affected you personally making music? Because you know, I feel like everything is now either Spotify or Savan or uh, SoundCloud. How has that affected you personally?
1: Uh, so this is interesting. I, I'm not sure if this is positive or negative, but um, what I used to do with Indian music is that I would be very proactive. And like every single time a movie came out, I would just go through and listen through all the songs or just like scan through like seconds at a time and decide which ones to download and throw out. And I would do this for, like, Hindi, Tamil, and Telugu music. I did this, like, all of high school and probably majority of undergrad up until, like, 2011. But from, like, 2012 onwards, like, during grad school, I, like, definitely have not done that. Like, I'm either... I don't know if I'm that means I'm, like, behind, but I think it definitely means that I've completely switched my tune, maybe because... Like you said, like music is more easily found like streaming. And so songs that are good are already rising to the top of like news feeds and social media. And so I don't have to go digging for things, even though that I know I'm definitely missing out on some probably like killer gem songs that are kind of tucked away. I mean, there's only so many hours in a day. Sure. Um, That's the nice thing is also with uh, SoundCloud is that... um, and this is one thing I think India has to learn. That's a kind of a different topic, but like the remix culture in America is very much taken off. So if a song is good, um, SoundCloud loves tons of remixes of it made by different people. And so that way you can even find the original song. That way, like you listen through some mix that someone's made, and you're like, oh, what is this song? Like I haven't heard it on the radio, but it seems to be keeping used in remixes. It must be something cool. Yeah. And you kind of like reverse engineer find it that way. The thing is, India hasn't really caught up to that. So um, they're still in the very old school mindset where like if you're remixing something, you're stealing it. So that's um totally separate thing that probably won't change for a while. But as a result, that's why you kinda of see Indian reviews us uh, Indian songs being like on YouTube, top forty, that sort of thing.
0: Got it. Got that's, it.
1: Yeah.
0: So what would you say your count is that like in terms of the number of mixes you put together? Is it over a hundred, over a thousand things that you've put together?
1: Over Oh man. Uh <laughs> have you done that like in terms of Yeah, I did had, had to had it once. Um in terms of how many total teams I've helped I think it's over 50 uh, in terms of like how many individual mashups and stuff that could be oh man I don't know if I've hit a thousand but it's probably several hundred for sure like so every hundred. company in next shape has to be you know a couple so maybe like ten mashups every time and then uh, yeah upwards of 500 or so probably i don't know how many of those I, and the thing is this is also what i tell a lot of people and people always like oh you're like you're the most prolific dj because you're just like constantly making things but i think what's more important or like as a more of a learning point is that i have a folder on my computer that's called like like for later use or, it's basically like my trash folder right where i just have like constantly thrown ideas in there where like i kind of tried it and they don't really work and so i feel like as many as i have up there i have several ideas that i've tried and haven't actually been able to be published because they're not good enough yeah and that's what i think like people just think i'm like oh you just you just come up with stuff like <laughs> constantly but like i'm constantly throwing out things also like i have high rate of failure but also that helps you know keep you refined
0: yeah and i i love that point of just iteration over and over again trying things out see what sticks and mm-hmm. you know people only see the the final products right? and they're like oh Dr. Shree makes Shree is amazing DJ because they see <laughs> the, 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 like the, the final products. But as you said, there's so much in your yeah, not so draft mm-hmm. so, so talk us through that, like um, that in the draft folder. Can you give us examples of things that you've tried or worked on multiple times that just didn't work? Like, what can you give us a window to some examples of that?
1: Yeah, I say maybe like two things. And one of them is like not a problem. And one of them is a little bit of a problem. So the one is not a problem is you have maybe two different mixes, suppose you have three songs, like uh, just A, B and C. And so I make one project that's song A and song B. And then you have another one that's song B and song C. And then you find that like both of them don't work, or they're very, very close. Uh, and then what I end up finding is that like if you just toss B out and match the two components instead A and C, the ones that were I were trying to match with B, somehow those end up working with each other. And so like I've had some situations like that before where I find like I'm just like sequentially going through like different combinations, and then I find that like everything I was trying to match with that one song doesn't work. But if I just matched it with each other and throw out that song, um, somehow it ends up working out. And I'm trying to think of like an example of this. I remember there was a classical mix I made once like that. But um, so the other one is more of what I'm going to try and go into in the future, which is that you find combinations that work, but because the songs were originally sang in some pitch, uh, you have to pitch shift it so much for the songs to match sure. that it sounds like super Rick Rossi or like Chip <laughs> Monkey. Right? Auto-tune. Yeah, it just sounds like it's in the sky or whatever. So that means the idea is solid, but what you would have to do is find a singer to like re-sing it for you because um, you can't use the original MP3 anymore. Um And so that's what I'm kind of going through, like going through these old ideas and being like, all right, I know this work. I can either give it an a cappella team and have them perform it or try to do it myself and I have to like have somebody record the vocals and that kind of thing. Or sometimes, which is even more disappointing is I find um, that just requires another level of skill I haven't learned yet. But you have uh, two songs that work with each other except you can't find a clean instrumental or a cappella you can't take all the beats out. It's just too messy. Sure. And in that case, you'd have to re-sing it and recreate the whole beat yourself uh which is a lot <laughs> is it, of work but like but uh that's but at the least next level the dj <laughs> skills yeah yeah so something so, I'm to learn for sure know,
0: among the um thousand mixes you know you mentioned that you you've you've worked with so many teams and so many different types of people is there a team mix or is there a collaboration or something that sticks in your mind that was very memorable for it could be any reason but just like you're like wow i'm really proud of what i did with this or with uh, with with a project is there something like that you can you can share
1: yeah i think um i can think of two different ways to think about this question so one is which of the mixes i like the most almost right uh definitely the ones where i've like danced with them sure were the ones because I think I end up caring the most. And this is kind of like something I've like recently posted about where I'm like an external DJ can always be amazing creatively, but they will never have, even if you, even if you think they have this level of dedication, you will never have the level of dedication unless you were on the team dancing with it, because you want to see that that makes like succeed like 120%. Um, and so, Pieces I've done with Badmash, Tamaka, BSB, and Illuminati. So those mixes for sure, even to this day, stick out in my mind because while I was dancing on the team, sometimes someone would teach me the choreo for it and I'd be like, you know what, now that I know the moves, here's something I could change with the music to actually make it even cooler, right? Or like you have like a, you know, something really basic, like you do a jump in the air and you just add a sound effect or, you know, stuff like that, where it's just like so customized to the music where the audience is not going to miss a single moment that the choreographer has put in because the music is... Going to alert the audience when something cool is about to happen, something like that. Um, And then I end up finding that I also, you know, like as a, like I have to admit that I think a lot of DJs do this. But when it comes to like all the ideas that come up within a year, if one is like really, really good, I will probably just keep it for myself. (laughs) Even (laughs) if like other teams are paying me, I'm just like, you know what? Even if you're paying me, like this makes it so cool. I'd rather dance with myself. So I end up. What's an example of that? Um. Uh, there was definitely one Bhangra mix that I think I made for um, BSB's finale or it was the rocket well, finale, something like that, where like some team was like, hey, uh, we heard this, you used this mix once, like, I don't know, I like must have played it somewhere. And I was like, I would give it to you, but like, I'm totally going to use this on stage myself. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, are you sure? And I was like, I am absolutely sure. <laughs> this is something I'll keep to it's for myself. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, I can choreo this, so I'll just do it myself. Uh the other example I was going to talk to you about uh you said what else sticks out in my mind? Sometimes like I do find situations where I have the opportunity to do something very clever and make a mix that wouldn't work before somehow work. So there's one example there's a mix between Remember the Name and the diljeet song that should be on Spotify or SoundCloud somewhere. But um basically what I did is I found that the instrumental would have to have been shifted so much to match the Diljit song that it would have sounded off but then what i luckily found is that uh, remember the name if you listen carefully to the song the rapper never sings anything he raps the whole thing in monotone so what i ended up finding is i just took the acapella separately so his voice separately and mm-hmm. the instrumental separately and i didn't shift his voice but i shifted the instrumental so now the music matches but then since he was singing in monotone the whole time anyways if you put it back on top no one actually notices because it sounds exactly the same, because people are so tuned to hearing, like, Fort Minor, remember the names, like, rap, to be exactly the same key. Wow.
0: And I was like, oh, that
1: was kind of clever, and I wish I wouldn't, like, (laughs) I'm glad that this worked, and I wish this happened more often. (laughs) How how (laughs) did
0: you come up with that idea? I feel that it was pretty innovative to think about the instrumentals and the vocals differently and splice it together. Yeah,
1: um, that's something I was trying to think of, like, I was like, oh, maybe if I find the acapella, maybe I can find someone to like play the violin separately underneath it or something, because that's like one part of that rap song is like violin just goes the whole way. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, let's go see if like the these two components are separate. And then I just shifted the instrumental by itself, and I was like, you know, you know what? Like, I can't even tell that this is this is different from the original because the fourth minor sounds the exact same. And I just got lucky because I think as American, like a like I said, American music, remix culture is becoming more and more prevalent, so like you can find his voice and the instrumental separated. And so, there's the opportunity to do that is present. Whereas in Indian music, if you right now try to find any of your Bollywood songs like a cappella by themselves, it's gonna be really hard. And there's a, some there's some theories that my friends have that the only reason that there's any online is because some sound engineer got like bribed to just throw it on the internet. Really. And I would not be surprised if that was true. Yeah.
0: Yeah, in, I feel Indian music is sometimes the wild, wild west. Like things yeah. come up, and you just you know have to have to go with the where the, where the tide is going. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So let's, uh, let's shift gears to, you know, you know, you being a dancer. I know, I know that's a, a big part of, you know, how you got mm-hmm. into this, uh, the DJ thing. Walk us through like how being a, a dancer is, um, you know, affected your life and, and, you know, how you evolved as a dancer since your early days.
1: Um, so I, I could yeah, I can just kind of go through what I've done dancing wise. So, maybe like the first dance I ever did ever was like maybe in high school they had like a cultural show thing but it was like absolutely terrible I've never danced before (laughs) what was that like um, (laughs) your first dance it was it was hard uh, like you know remembering moves and I so so like growing up I played baseball my whole life so I think there's one thing I see with like a lot of guys who try for dance teams is that they approach dancing with a very athletic approach kind of like overpowering every move and like involving so much everybody sure um and that's sort of like how I did things too. It's just kind of like, okay, I'm just kind of moving my body with the music, but like no level of grace at all. Just absolutely really not that great. So when I went to Brown, I um, went to the activities fair there and uh, there was a guy there, um, Anshul Parukar, who's a very phenomenal dancer. He saw me he was like, yo, you, you look like an athlete. Uh, you ever considered dancing? And I was like, I mean, not really, but all right, sure. So then I just showed up at the tryouts and did not make it, which is not surprising. Uh, but the cool thing is that Brown is a very like dance party heavy culture. So anytime on weekends, uh, people always dance like all the time. So without even actually practicing, I would just like hang out with friends and ended up being better at dancing. So that the next semester I tried out and ended up making it. Um, what was that like? You of, know,
0: I'm sure you were disappointed the first semester. <clears throat> Did you feel... For like sure, yeah. were you When you got in your second semester, was that a, a big moment for you? Were
1: you? like, wow, I'm actually pretty good at this. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, definitely a lot that I had to learn. But what I think I've noticed the most, and I've noticed this for years and years, which is that, like, if you give somebody the opportunity to be on the team, they improve so much faster. Just being around people who are talented and can teach, as opposed to kind of like, you know, when you say, like, all right, come back next semester and try out again, probably nothing much is going to change in that semester. So, yeah, just being on the team and being surrounded by people who were much, much better than me like allowed me to be, you know, it was very humbling. And be like, all right, I'm glad these people are giving me a chance. Like, let's like just continue to improve. Um, it was great. Um, my first two years, I was uh, just a dancer. I was like music chair like my sophomore year. Uh, I started off not dancing very, very much because they were competing and stuff, so they wouldn't have you be in every single segment. But then, junior and senior year, I was a co-captain, and so I think in the end, I, as much as I love performing, I think I love choreography even more. Uh, I think that's like kind of like as I got older, sort of thing. Um, I just find it's like a cool puzzle to like kind of solve. Um, yeah.
0: So, so let's let's uh, spend a moment on that choreography. You know, as as people know, there's a tons of different types of Indian dancing. And 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 American dancing too. Was there one mm-hmm. that you gravitated to that you said, "Hey, I'm naturally good at this," and you know you like choreographing? Or were, were there styles that you had to learn over time through training? Like, what was
1: that like? Yeah, um, I think like the one I was immediately gravitated to was for sure, Bhangra and hip hop, and hip hop being like you know the like more hard hitting hip hop than anything flowier or. Um, like, street-style stuff, I really wanted to learn, but, like, it just takes a long time. You just have a lot of body control. I did some b-boy stuff when I was, like, a freshman. Uh, I think it's just because it was, like, the cool thing to do and everyone kind of, like, got into it. But it just has a huge drop-off rate because it's a lot of, you know, uh, you really beat up your body to, like, learn how to do it properly anytime you do any of these power moves. But I stuck around with b-boying for, like, maybe two years, three years. Um... But yeah, from there I think I definitely progressed to Punjabi um, hip hop and South Indian as well. So I, I definitely made a huge push for the circuit to have a lot more South Indian music because uh, it was just a very like North Indian heavy like kind of cloud wearing of like over everything. Because um, I think there's just like a stigma around South Indian music to be like you know it's like no one understands the language or it's very uh, vulgar, which like some of the moves are and like you know people weren't really used to it so no one was willing to attempt it and so i was like you know what like i know some of this stuff like you know i know Tamil music i know how to do some this kind of dance so i kind of pushed for that a lot and i was a very huge advocate for that how did you do that uh, i like, guess like
0: how did you i, I agree was, with you like the culture was very north indian and you know bollywood how <clears throat> what did you just when you were suggesting songs to teams or your suggesting mm-hmm. your own team did you just say hey have you considered this south indian song what did you do to to spur it was on?
1: uh pretty brute force actually so what i had to do is um i had one south indian song in the first competition mix i made but they ended up i think they did garbaras to it because it worked um musically but what i ended up doing is when i was a co-captain i was just like okay i'm gonna put the segment in the piece for the competition," and if your concern is that no one will choreograph it, I'll choreograph it myself. And so then we put it on a competition stage, we were actually approached by a ton of people being like, wow, like I've literally never seen anybody do a Telugu double song on stage before. Like, is it cool if we like follow suit and do it like you? I think P.U. Jalba was actually one of the teams, I think the first team who asked me. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's just the entire point. Is like, we want other people to start doing this. And then, you know, like we did it, then they did it, then USC Moksha did it. And like from there, it just goes team by team. And then people start to see it more and more. I think that's all it is. It's like everyone was, you know, wanted to do it. But someone just has to take that first step to kind of, you know, break the ice sort of and be like, you know what? Be confident. Like it's okay to, you know, express yourself and do the styles that you're good at. Yeah. Even if everyone else thinks that it's weird. Like it's only weird if, you know, you don't give it a shot. So
0: yeah, and I, I want to talk touch a little bit about that. Um, you know, throughout the years, from when you started to to now, like every year I feel that you know the voice you have in the the Daisy Dance community has, has has grown and grown just because of of your influence as the, as a DJ and your involvement with um, involvement with uh, with with dance and stuff how have you managed that like how has you know your as your exposure has gone up you know and mm-hmm. you, you sound like you've you always trying to get a little bit better every time with your iterations have you thought through like okay you know i'm i've you know an a, an icon to a lot of people and a lot of teams and a lot of the community what what have you done or how have you how have you thought through as you've gotten more exposure you know through the years
1: so I think like a very big shift that I made from like undergrad to grad school. Um and that's definitely when I started to like have like more visibility in the circuit is um so definitely not trying to do everything myself, right? I think the maybe the one of the biggest mistakes I made my senior year was that uh I was so caught up in trying to make my conversation piece thing ha- happen with my co captains that I was uh I don't think I properly taught the classes below me how to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I think we were just so dr- goal driven that when we were done, we we're like, all right, let's just leave. We killed it. We placed multiple times. That's awesome. Right. And then the, you know, the years afterwards, I think struggled to have the same level of structure. They're still all great dancers, but you know, so then afterwards I was like, you know what, if I'm starting to like get this level of success, I have to just as much inform others, like how to do the same thing. Yeah, And so that's what, like a huge, the complete opposite of what I just said is that like my um, the most recent album, I was just like, if this is going to be one of my biggest projects, I should have it involve as many people as possible. I think it involved like 112 people, all in all, just um, because I don't think there's any point in doing it yourself when this community is so small. You know, it feels huge from <laughs> when you're inside DDN and it just feels like, oh, my God, there's so many people here. But if you zoom all the way out in terms of like dance and music in general, we're like extremely tiny, right? And we're, like, pretty much the only people, like, driving it in America. And so, you know, if you want to make these large-scale projects, I think you have to involve as many people as possible and, like, grow as a unit. And that's, like, something, like, a huge push I want to make, like, in terms of if I'm going to be visible, I want other people to be visible with me because I think, like, your power comes from, like, having your knowledge be spread out to everyone else.
0: Yeah, so. sure. And, and, and when you say you want to collaborate with more people, how have mm-hmm. – those collaborations come up you know you said you get a lot of influence from from other djs and other dancers like have you done anything actively to to reach out and and connect with with other other people in the in the community what have you done you know yeah I in terms in the last few of years? Um,
1: yeah i think um it kind of goes both ways. Sometimes people reach out to me, being like, "Hey, let's work together on something." And um, that's, for example, like how this collaboration with Jay Matt, this Leon Regula thing happened, is he was just like, "Yo, I'm in Philly. Let's just meet up and talk about some ideas." And I was like, "All right, sure, let's do it." But then sometimes um, there are some interactions that would just never naturally occur. Like uh, there was uh, this guy Aditya Rao, who's a singer. He lives in L.A. right now, but then we just send him an email together, being like you probably have not met us and we probably will not meet you, but like we do cool stuff and you do cool stuff. Let's like maybe make something happen. And then he was very receptive to it, which I think is like a testament to like, you know, good talent finds each other, which I think is, I'm very happy about. Um, But in terms of like doing more collaborations, I think that's why um, everything nowadays is becoming very visually oriented social media wise. Like everything is is videos. It's just too hard now to just put a song up uh, on the internet and just expect it to succeed. Um, unless you have some just some sort of reason behind it. So now almost every song I'm trying to make, I'm trying to play, put a video behind it. And if I have a video, that means I should have some sort of storyboarding. So generally, I just want to have it be a choreo video. And I think a lot of people in the community are looking to dance after they leave the competitive circuit because there's no structure at all once you're a national adult to find ways to keep dancing so like things like this are like great because i can just make a video and be like all right let's find 10 more of my friends who haven't danced in like a year and then like bring them in yeah so yeah
0: so like let's talk about this uh collaboration with with jay moth or uh, you know aditya rao like Mm -hmm. walk us through if someone has seen the (coughs) final product what are the steps Mm -hmm. that took for you to get there like what is like walk us through the story of how that happened let's talk through the the jay moth one like what's What exactly happened?
1: Yeah, so um, he and I sat down together and uh, basically his story is that um, he grew up in India and America together and he left to go big a singer in Europe, but found that even though he's being very successful there as an EDM artist, he didn't have any of the Desi influence that he wanted like in his work. So he came back and he found me via some mutual friends uh, who I think were dancers and said like, Hey, like this is what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to find someone to work on new songs with and have some sort of Indian influence. And I was like, okay, that's generally what I do already, which is that I find American music and Indian music and put it together. And so that's that year, that summer, the lean on song came out by Major Lazer. And Major Laser is a very remix culture heavy person, so he put out the instrumental for it, just kind of letting people do what they want with it. So, based off of that, I found that um, typically the way I would make any mashup is that uh, the song Rangila from Rangila, um, yeah, Rangila from Rangila works with it. So, I made that separately. And then we made some draft with that, and it was solid. And then at the same time, uh, Prodigy, um, so Pooja Mongolia, he Made another uh, mashup with a Imran Khan song and Lean on and we kind of both put up our drafts at the same time. And then I texted them, being like, "Yo, your idea is cool, and mine's pretty solid. Why don't we just like merge them together? Uh, this way, um, I don't know. If people are into the Punjabi side, they'll like it for that reason. If people are into the Bollywood, they will like it for that reason. And then uh, J Mad had some contacts with uh, Magda from India, so we just kind of hit him up, put the, all the recordings in, and threw it online with a video basically we just threw it online by itself first and then we put a video up and for some reason it was just extremely successful i don't know we to this day i've tried to study to see why exactly this remix over anything he's made or i've made or projects has made has been more successful than anything else definitely helps that the song lean on by major laser was already successful yeah but plenty of songs are successful all the time we're just trying to so it's a weird thing. Virality is, I feel like, too hard to solve, and there's so many, you know, artificial intelligence robots out there trying to solve it, so that these companies make money. And I feel like um, maybe we just stop thinking so hard about it and just, you know, continue yeah. making good content and then hopefully just, you know, pe- picks up because people ideally now remember our name, like, oh, like these are the people who made Lean On Regula. Maybe I'll listen to this song and see if I like it too.
0: Yeah. But, so how did you feel when you, you know, you made the mix? You've collaborated with a lot of people. You finally put it online, and you see that the exposure is going up and up. Was that Mm -hmm. like a whoa, like I can't believe this is happening, kind of moment? Or
1: oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Um, like any mix I made before was in the thousands at best, and I could even probably count. It was probably just the people who are all dancers who were just listening to it because a DDN has like what, like five thousand, six thousand people. So if the mix has like you know five thousand plays, it's probably the same. 1,000 people just playing it five times. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. I'm happy with this. Um, and for some reason, we've, again, we cannot fathom, this is like, Real is now at like 2 million on SoundCloud. Almost. No way. No idea who those people even are. So, but yeah, it was definitely like mind-blowing for sure. Yeah. Like in a way that I was never, I never reached before. Because before it was always like, hey, I throw a mix online and like my own friend texts me like, hey, your mix is cool. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Let, let me ask you a, a a personal question so this this dj mm-hmm. thing is something that you know you you have a big passion for and music and stuff like that how much do your parents know about this like how have you ever had a conversation like mom dad this is something that i do i don't know if you've seen my mixes like have have you had that conversation with your family or your parents or
1: i don't think i've ever had a direct conversation about it i think they definitely see me just constantly working on it yeah but did, i think did also, they ask like, you, you know, questions any... about it yeah, I all the time, for sure. I think what they ask is mostly just like, is it distracting? And <laughs> my answer is, I mean, maybe sometimes it is, but like, that's not the point, I think, right? Is that I think definitely I like to keep, you know, my grad school stuff and my music stuff kind of balanced in my life because they both kind of keep me sane. And if I do either of them for too long, I definitely get tired of it. So, um, yeah, but whenever I'm on break at home, I would always just work on mixed stuff because that's the best way to do it. Um, I don't have any schoolwork to think about. So it's like a perfect time to work on it. And so my parents would always ask, like, what are you up to? Like, why are you doing it? Like that kind of thing. And I'm like, I'll tell you when I'm done. Like <laughs> Yeah. I think now they're less concerned because um, again, like any parent would be there concerned that it's distracting and not leading to something. And I think that it has like some level of success now. They're kinda of, like backing off and they're like, Okay, it's something to be proud of. But have,
0: have your parents listened to a mix and they're like, Hey, shriek, this was this was good or have you showed them anything that you're like hey this is all the stuff i've been working on on the side this is the, mm-hmm. with the final product have you showed them anything like that
1: uh I, I think so i think it's still very rarely i think often they end up finding it by themselves <laughs> really um,
0: they go to soundcloud yeah. And, and, <laughs> and
1: yeah and i give. think so or like youtube more so but um yeah i think i've just constantly overwhelm my parents with, like stuff i'd make they'd probably just get anxious that i'm not doing anything else graduation wise sure <laughs> but, sure um yeah, I think also it's it's just a, like a generational thing. Like, I don't think my parents would be so into um, like sometimes some of the types of remixes that like the college kids are constantly listening to. Like any of that really heavy, like trappy type stuff. Like my parents are very, you know, old school Bollywood type people. So
0: sure, sure.
1: But yeah, but uh, you know, I think that's the trick is like you can you can find remixes that fit any audience. So that
0: yeah. Right, right. Multiple audiences will like different kind of things. Mm-hmm, um, exactly.
1: Cool. I, w- I want to
0: switch gears to y- your graduate degree. I think this is a part of your life that not many people know about where they see the Dr. makes the DJ, the producing, the, the music, the dancing side, but they don't really mm-hmm. know what your day job is. So, like, do they? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about graduate school and like that side of your life?
1: Sure, yeah. So, I was a neuroscience major at Brown. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing neuroscience right now as a graduate degree at Penn. And um, I was actually considering doing either neuroscience or biomedical engineering for grad school. But um, what I wanted to do in the end was neuroengineering like medical devices. And so the idea is do you approach it from the biological side or from the engineering side? And in the end, I chose neuroscience because I thought that I was actually worse at it. And so I could spend more time in school getting better at that. Whereas I feel like engineering, like I was a very math heavy person in high school. It's always something I could always pick up later on. But uh yeah, what I do right now is I'm like right now finishing up the stuff. I'm trying to create a uh our lab is trying to create a device that restores uh, sense of touch and paralysis patients. Wow. And um yeah basically um kind of like hyper generalizing here, but you have wireless sensors that um feel touch for you at the level of your hand and since you're if you somebody got in a car accident has spinal cord injury they don't have sense of touch anymore because by directional communication with your body and your mind is lost and so if you touch something it'll never reach your body so what we do instead is you have these sensors that feel force for you and then you wirelessly shock the brain directly or brain in our case brain stem um and that kind of sends the same similar sort of signal uh to the touch regions of the brain, and hopefully, they help them understand what they're touching.
0: What has that been like, been work, like working on? That sounds like an extremely interesting project. It, it was the the project is the one that drew you to you know doing the program or or this specific you know working at Penn, or mm-hmm. did you happen to fall into to this specific project?
1: No, I happen to fall into it. It's, um, Penn is a rotation model, so the way it works is that you don't have to sign up for a certain lab when you get into grad school, whereas some departments, I many departments, and the older uh, philosophies like you know mathematics, I think you have to do that. Um, electrical engineering, same thing, where you have to know who you're going to work with when you first come in. Uh, so luckily I get here and you're allowed to rotate with three different professors to find out who you like, and then from there you pick one and do that as your thesis. Um, And uh, even though that adds time to your PhD, it kind of relaxes the financial burden on professors taking on brand new students. And also, just in case you don't like the professor or don't like the project, that way you have a way of trying out different things. So I actually ended up with a professor who wasn't even at Penn when I first applied. We kind of came at the same time. but uh, yeah, were the, this professor was my last rotation, and I ended up just staying. So
0: yeah, and like, have you enjoyed it? Like, what is what has excited you most about working on this? Is it you know people sometimes go to graduate school and it's a lot different from what they expected? Has this been similar or been close to what you've
1: expected? It's uh, interesting. So. I think maybe what I didn't expect is that uh, taking classes again immediately after graduation, because I came straight from graduating from Brown. Sure. Um, I think that was as close to burning out as I'd ever been, which is that um, I didn't expect to like feel myself slowing down right after graduating. I thought I was coming to grad school and be like, all right, awesome. I have new stuff to do. Let's just like fire through it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I got through the classes fine, and uh, in the end, what I love the most is that um, because this project is so interdisciplinary, I've been able to do computational work and engineering work, like building sensors, and then the majority of the actual neuroscience stuff was done in primates and monkeys, so I like got to um, work with monkeys for three years, four years, <laughs> and then um, some big. Basic- like? That was that was wild, man. Uh, that <laughs> going every every day and hanging out with monkeys. Sometimes I'd see monkeys more than I would see humans. Um, yeah, very interesting. And also, you know, the monkeys like grow very attached to you. They're very human-like characteristics. So
0: yeah, it was that's cool. Wild. There's all also
1: right. it's also genius how much like you see how much they can learn. Um, if you like, you know, all this stuff is done for like food or juice rewards. So like you come up with these like kind of toy video game type things where you're trying to do some sort of science experiment or rather it represents some sort of science experiment and if you train them the right way like they'll learn how to do very complicated things like we have one monkey who was able to search three buttons find the one that's vibrating and then hit a uh, another random button you know that pretty complicated things um so it was cool
0: that sure. is that is super cool um cool well hey i just wanted to you know, close out this section and and then move on mm-hmm. in the interest of time to our our, our rapid fire questions. Um, sure. Just man. to to get a, a sense of things. So, uh, Shri, talk us about your most worthla- worthwhile investment, both either in time or money. That is, you know, something that you've that has been a big influence on you in the past year or so. Uh,
1: biggest influence. Uh, sorry, uh, investment. For, yeah, investment. Um, <laughs> I would say. In terms of what have I literally put money into, like doing more videos and stuff has been actually a huge impact. Um, Because so, you know, videographers cost a lot of money, flying to places to get these venues, sometimes renting the venues costs a lot of money. Um, But what I've kind of like come to the realization is that even though I'm making money from these after parties and stuff, like I could keep the money or I could just reinvest it back into the music stuff. To like kind of grow that, and then grow my visibility. And like I said, like everything's becoming visual nowadays. Like India doesn't really use SoundCloud, and I think Spotify is not even allowed in India. Uh, I think it's not licensed there at all. So they all they go to YouTube for everything. So anytime I've now posted a remix on YouTube, a lot of the commenters are from India, who are people I would never reach before. And I think that's actually a huge yeah new shift audience in my audience. Exactly right. And India has a huge audience; it's three times the size of the United States.
0: Yeah. So, has uh, and, and just a, a question on that: Has anyone reached out to you from like India, or, or were you just like, "How the heck did you find my stuff?" Like, have you ever had a moment where, like, "Who are you?" Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. With this Poonam Priyanka thing, that definitely was a huge thing. So, what happened is um, Poon and Priyanka were the twins who were on Illuminati with me in this alumni dance team. And I made a random mix with uh, Iqbal from um, Cal. We then lived in California, so he was a classics as Bangra DJ. So the two of us were making some small mix together, threw it online, and then put on Priyanka, Film something in their kitchen, so their video goes like viral, which is great. I'm happy for them. Now they're doing a uh, doing a lot of great things. Um, but this company from India who runs ad agencies for tea and coffee reached out the two of us, being like, "Yo, we want to do an ad with." Poonam Priyanka in India in Chennai and we were like what in the world like how did you find this like there's no way at all that could even happen like they got in a phone call with me and there was like three guys in the phone call and three of them spoke uh sorry two of them only spoke Tamil one guy spoke in English and I was like this is definitely testing like every skill my parents have ever taught me right (laughs) right right. but both
0: languages
1: (laughs) yeah um yeah, that was so interesting. I was like, there's no way I could even have pitched this to you previously. Sometimes it's just weird. Um, Like, if I came up to this Indian company being like, hey, like here's this remix I made, I doubt they'd have ever paid attention to us. Sure. But somehow, yeah, somehow that thing clicked with them. So then, yeah, Purnima Priyanka, they did the ad commercial, uh, and then they used our song. And what's even more crazy is one of the, remember, like I used to say, like I used to listen to like a lot of 90s uh, Tamil and Bollywood music. One of my old favorite uh music directors ended up jumping on the track as well because one part of the remix that i had made uh could not be used for whatever copyright reason but this music director uh karthik rajah uh, was like yo i'll just rewrite it for you and i was like no way this is pretty much starstruck i was like this is crazy man like i used to watch your movies when i was like five years old <laughs> and you're talking <laughs> um, to him
0: like directly and he's remaking yeah. a, a mix for you that's crazy
1: I was like, this is wild. Yeah, there's like a video of a guy as like a Vina. He's like rewriting the melody. I was like, dude, this is, I don't know how I got here. <laughs> yeah, that's when you're like, hey, yeah. I must have done something
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Um, okay, next question. Um, and, and I think you touched on this a little bit, but currently today, is there a South Asian music icon that you look look up to? Like if you think of the word success in, in the South Asian you know, music or, or DJ industry. What's the first mm-hmm. person that comes to mind that is, that inspires you or that you, you know, look up to.
1: It's in, I can think of like two examples for two very, very different reasons. Okay, Go ahead. Um, okay. So I would say, so I'll start with the weird one. The weird one is I'd say Jay Sean. So Jay Sean used to do a lot of Punjabi and American music together. Yep. And then he just ditched the Punjabi side and went full American. And now is like, For sure famous, right? And I think that's interesting from like a market strategy perspective. And it's definitely not something I would want to do because I don't think I would ever want to lose the South Asian side of things. But it basically shows that he is the closest, like any artist has ever been to like breaking into the American market with like the Punjabi flair, right? Uh, And then on the other hand, I would say... Imran Khan is a huge person I look up to, but him, but also specifically Aaron E, his like old school producer, they don't actually work together as much anymore, but he is very clever, which is that he puts out a track like once every two years, but like goes like multi-million every single time. <laughs> like if he Quality, out, not uh, like, quantity. Nina Cholet, famous, yeah, Nina Cholet, then amplifier, then satisfier, then there's just like, every time every single time it does it it's just like fire and then it just goes back into hiding like all right that's it i'm done i don't need to do anything else (laughs) (laughs) right like i think that's a genius marketing strategy like this way there's no dilution and people are just waiting for your next move to see like when you're going to drop the next like banger right yeah yeah
0: um so cool so then um i would love to ask you know most people see the, the outside tree. What, what are, is there any unusual habits that you have, whether it comes to making music or producing music or dancing, that people don't see that's you know behind the wall that they're like, oh, wow, he does this? Uh, I'm curious to know if you have any unusual habits like that.
1: Um, I think the, the habit that everyone knows is that I do not sleep very much at all. <laughs> um, but, and that I also definitely mix better on caffeine and stuff. Um, in terms of like unusual habits, um, trying to think, but I feel like, oh, maybe one thing that kind of confuses people. There's This one building on campus called Platt, and there's no reason for me to really be in that building anymore. Like it used to be where all the dance studios and stuff used to happen, but there's like this desk on the side. And, uh, I think I just end up working best there. Uh, even though like I haven't danced in like three years, I just sit like at that side desk and people just know that I'm always there. Because it has, like, free coffee, and I think what I enjoy about, um, like, my workspace is if I'm in a space where it's just completely quiet, complete isolation, I end up getting very distracted by, like, either social media or just, like, just bored and end up not getting anything done. But, like, at this place, like, I'll see a friend or now, every now and then it's like, walk by, I can say hi to them, take, like, a nice natural break. Right. And, um, and yes, it is loud, but, um, like, every now and then, like, pen band will show up and just blast music, but then <laughs> I have my headphones on so I can, you know, drown them out but I think it just makes me feel like I'm not completely isolated from the world when I'm getting all my work done because I do know like sometimes making these teammates mixes you got to sit down for like three hours, four hours and just like knock the whole thing out
0: Sure.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, I think maybe that's interesting I think a lot of other people would prefer to be like in a pin drop silent studio right. with like perfect speakers and I'm just not at all what I do
0: <laughs> yeah, you have some activity around you that's very interesting Yeah. yeah. cool, so um, last few questions for you Shri, is, um, you mm-hmm. know if you had to give very tactical advice to an up and coming South Asian who's listening to this who said, Man, you know, I look up to Dr. Shremix of what he does, what advice would you give him and, and why? Or give him or her? Um,
1: I would say that like the technical skill can always be learned. And that, and, and how how fine. how
0: could they learn that? If they want is there any resources you recommend or Yeah.
1: Uh, So if you want to do it on your own, then there's definitely um, like a bunch of tutorials and stuff that people have put on YouTube, including people from the um, South Asian, uh, like dancing circuit, um, that'll tell you exactly what you should do. Uh, And I think, but that's not the point. I think the point is anyone can learn how to do that, just as anybody can learn how to use Photoshop and learn how to use any of these programs. But I think what, if you want to generate ideas, you have to just listen to as many different types of songs as possible. That way, you again like just start to recognize patterns and just start to see, you know, like the bigger picture. Because, um, the idea generation is not going to come from a master of a program. Like I think uh, I had a very poor understanding of how the programs worked up until like maybe even 2013, like four years after I was mixing. But um, but I think my ideas were still solid because I could reach out to like different things I've listened to before. So I think tactical advice, as much as it sounds like it's a heavy burden to do. You just familiarize yourself with as many songs as possible and like listen to things that may not like intentionally are not your favorite tracks um sometimes you find that they're very useful like sometimes i hear like songs where i'm like wow i really don't like that song but i like this one three second segment and i might need this later and then i end up using it later for like some small thing right so. yeah got it
0: and i i just would love to hear you know what's your current setup of software i'm sure people would love to know you know what <coughs> sure. what what you know headphones or what dj software or things like you know we can put in the show notes that people can can link to if people are interested in finding out more
1: um so headphones for sure i think might be the most important thing which is i so i use audio technica ath m50 a lot of people use those um because they're what is known to have a flat response like nothing is bass boosted nothing is you know too treble heavy it's very much what you have in your program is what you're also going to hear. Got it. Um, I use a mouse constantly, where I think a lot of people don't do that because they're so used to MacBooks. But I don't, like, you mix so much faster with the mouse. Um, in terms of programs, I'm using Sony Acid Pro, but that's probably out of habit because that's what the old school, uh, like, Bhangra Circuit and Fusion Circuit DJs used to use. I still think it's a very good idea. So I, I'm on a PC, so that's a PC program. If you're on a Mac, I would suggest you use Logic. When it comes to like live vocals and stuff, I would use Ableton because it just has better processing capability and audio quality for like new recordings.
0: Got it, got it. And in terms of publishing music, you know, mm-hmm. would you recommend SoundCloud, Spotify, combination, YouTube? As you said, visual. Is there certain recommendations you have for for people who who created their mix but want to, you know, publish it and and and, and send it to the masses?
1: Yeah, so if you um, if you want to get it up as fast as possible, let's say SoundCloud or AudioMac is also a little bit leaner, uh, more lenient on uh, copyright stuff. Um, Spotify is pretty strict on copyright stuff, and also it costs fifteen dollars per song, non-refundable to put one up. So that might be like a more high high end, like when you're absolutely positive like, I want it up there. Um, Spotify will slowly pay you back, like over the course of several thousands of views, but um, I would say in terms of like visibility, people already I think have the SoundCloud app. Um, typically, uh, YouTube is cool. However, you would want to have some sort of like some sort of visualizer to go with it instead yeah. of just like a static image. Um, so if you know how to make that, like on Adobe After Effects, then that's cool too. Um, but I think whatever it is, it's posting on posting consistently and on one location, or rather on every one of your. Lo- consistently will help like you know build like a subscriber base like a following base so that people know to go back to your tracks and keep looking for you to see if you have new things coming out so you don't just become like a, okay i've saved this song once and then you don't come back and look at their channel
0: got it got it cool 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 all right um and so i wanted to touch on you know you 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 just put the announcement on on they on see dance network that hey i'm retiring from 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 mixing <clears throat> officially um Give us, like, a short summary of, hey, what was your decision behind that? I'm sure people would would love yeah. to hear, uh, you know, so, why you decided that and, and, you know, what's your plans moving forward?
1: So, uh, so I'll just, I can do plans moving forward first. I'm still, I'll still do after parties and live mixing and, you know, like, mixtapes and mashups for myself. Um and I'm um, trying to get more into like production and music videos and that sort of thing. Uh, I think, like I said, like more collaborations were like that are higher. So basically fewer projects, but higher quality and higher impact. Sure. Um, the, the in Imran terms of Khan why I effect. left. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it should work. We'll see. But um, in terms of why I left the team mixing, uh, uh, I think that, so for two reasons. I think creatively a set, is much more high-impact when somebody has built the mix themselves who is on the team. Sure. Uh, and I think that for too long, people have relied on external DJs. And honestly, like when I was a senior, like very few teams hired external DJs, and it was the ones who could afford it. I think maybe teams nowadays just have more money, uh, but also the ones who just didn't have anybody on the team, so they had to resort to that. But before, everyone had at least maybe one person who could kind of do very basic mixes. And I think now what's happening is that like every DJ is getting faster and faster, and so every team is waiting like more and more to the last second to ask for things because they know they can get away with it, and that the DJ can get away with it. And so the whole circuit has honestly shifted back, like or forward, whatever it is, like two months in preparation, which is really bad because then, the uh, you know. Competition boards get all the materials late and then audition tapes are late and choreo is late and everything is just super late. But the dates of the competition are not moving. So you're just cramming all the way up down to the wire. Whereas like when I used to make mixes, we'd be done pretty much in the summer and we just use that mix for the year. And that way the mix is out of the way and all you do is dance all year. And I think uh, the circuit just needs a bit of a reset. And I think a lot of DJs are feeling that pressure too. Like for the last few years, like yeah, we would stay up late making mixes, but it was never like... It's never this bad, and I think that's what it is. It's just oversaturation of all the people asking the same DJs, and but also asking two months later than they should be asking. And um, I think it'll everyone's going to do just fine. I think next year is going to be amazing. Like just the early planning itself is going to result in like just phenomenal mixes coming out next year. So. Sure. Cool.
0: Cool. All right, tree. So um, you know, uh, we we truly appreciate having you on on the podcast. I think there's just a mm-hmm. chock full of, of of good stuff people would love to listen to. Um Thank where, you, man. where can people find you if they want to you know hear more or learn more about you? Um, where, where where can we direct people to find out more, um, about so Doctor Tree <laughs>
1: Of course, if you want to so- Aside from like the musical venues like SoundCloud, Spotify YouTube that's all you know actual products I put out. Uh, Instagram and Facebook are great places to look. you can definitely just look up Dr. Shim on Facebook or Instagram and there I'll be posting more like written stuff about things I'm doing or places I've been and that sort of thing so yeah that's definitely where I would go I'm trying to try to create a website also very soon it's like I'll just go for dr.himix.com okay throw it all in one place.
0: cool. Cool. Well, to everyone's listening, we'll put all these links and, and everything that, that Shree's mentioned uh, on, the, on the show notes. So f- feel free to check that out. But Shree, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for being on. And, uh, uh, Thanks you so much know. for having me, man. Good luck with the next steps. We can't wait to see what you, uh, what you put on.
1: Of course, man. Looking forward. Thanks.
0: Hey, guys, it's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com Thanks a lot, and see you next time.